the Gospel of John chapter 3. Yes, this is a safe place to read the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, this is a, this is a great place to be. If you didn't bring a Bible, all you got to do is grab a device and Google John 3. And if you put in the initials ESV, English Standard Version, you'll be reading from the translation that I will be reading from. You're going to want to see it for yourself. You're going to know this one, but you're going to want to see it because it's going to surprise you. I'll do all the rest. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, beginning with verse 16. The translator heading above in the ESV reads, for God so loved the world. Hmm. We continue our study of John, line by line, paragraph by paragraph. Arriving this morning at perhaps what is the most widely recognizable verse in the entire Bible. You've seen it on TV. You've seen it in, on bumper stickers. Its popularity in pop culture skyrocketed. If you're not aware, it skyrocketed in particular back in the 80s when a man named, let me get his name right, Roland Stewart. You know who this guy is? Roland Stewart. He was wearing a rainbow afro wig and he began appearing on TV in the crowds at sporting events on live TV. Uh, he got on the Olympics early on in the 80s. Even the royal wedding of Prince Charles and Princess Diana. There was Roland Stewart with his rainbow afro wearing a t-shirt that said John 3.16. Roland Roland had no job. You're living out of his car, like some of you. No, I'm just traveling the world to display his signs. He'd become a Christian. So he wanted to display these signs and his t-shirts on live TV. And, and unfortunately today, I just, to, just so, you're, so you're aware, serving three consecutive life sentences in prison for kidnapping can't make this stuff up and I'm leaving out all kinds of fun stuff like he had a pot farm up in Oregon when he got saved uh, his attempt he was he was undergoing an attempt to have the world world's largest mustache um, yeah but it <clears throat> listen Roland aside <laughs> if I could ask before we read the text a, a text that is so so familiar let me ask you a question let me test your Bible knowledge a little bit here you'd think you'd know the answer but you just might not john 3 16 for god so loved the world who said that not whatever who said john 3 16 jesus did jesus say john 3 16 or did john the apostle hmm. some of you are already cheating and peeking some of you have an English translation that, tra that attributes John 3.16 and following to Jesus. The, the, like the ESV, the translation we're about to read from, there are quotation marks there. If you notice, if you look, some of you may even have uh, find that the passage on your Bible is printed in red, indicating that Jesus, it was Jesus who spoke these words. These were the red letters. And yet, listen, listen, some of you have English translations that don't have quotation marks because the translators believe that these are John the Apostle's words, not Jesus' words. His commentary, John the Apostle's commentary on what is happening here and occurring here, not Jesus. So interesting. So which is it? Are these the words of Jesus or of John? 
let me say something before I, you're not asking, but I'll tell you what I think. Uh, this is, let me say something. We're about to read this John 3.16 and following, and this is a wonderful reminder of how important it is to be a student of the scriptures. Not to assume anything, just because you saw it at, at the royal wedding on someone's t-shirt and think you know what it's about, but, but to avail ourselves to good teachers, good translations, good books, uh, uh, and to read carefully. The, the answer to the question, who, who said this, is we don't know. Hmm. Can't know definitively. It's ambiguous in the text. The original text is written in Greek, not English, surprise, which has no quotation marks. There are no quotation marks and punctuation used in the Greek. Uh, good scholars, listen, they've been debating the merits of both these positions, and in the end, as is almost always the case, at least we could say it doesn't really matter. It doesn't make a difference who said it, whether Jesus said it or John wrote it. Either way, it's true. Its meaning stays the same regardless of who's speaking it, and these are all the words of Jesus in the end. If you think about it, the entire Bible, he is the word. But now that you're asking me, <laughs> no, I think it's John. And so get yourself a non-red letter version. No, I'm <laughs> the red letters, again, that's a translation decision. But either way, again, doesn't really make a difference. And you'll notice in a moment I can preach it either way. So look with me. John 3.16 and following. I'll read them, pray, follow along. I could put in my jab. I think these guys agree with me, but John writes, no, I'm joking. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that, by his, work, that his works have been carried out in God. The very words of God. Would you, would you pray with me for understanding? Father, Father, I pray you would teach us this morning. Teach us. Show us your son in this text. Let the, let the beams of his glory pierce our souls that we might be glad in him. We might have the same joy that he has. Let there be no one in this place that leaves the same as they arrived. Myself first and foremost. Spirit, Spirit, bring your power to bear on our souls that we might believe, that we might be glad, that we might be changed. We pray with faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Okay, the taco guy, I think, is here. Brace your, <laughs> brace your hearts. Pinch your noses. He loves me. You know this game? He loves me not. You, you remember this game? Pulling the petals off the flower, right? Asking the question, like, like kind of like the eeny, meeny, miny, mo game, right? He loves me. He loves me not. And you know how this game goes. What? I got engaged. He loves me. I have cancer. He loves me not. Right? I got married. He loves me. I'm still single. He loves me not. Uh, I got a promotion at work. He loves me. I got fired. He loves me not. <laughs> right? My child obeyed me. It's a miracle. No, <laughs> he loves me. My family drives me crazy. Mm, he loves me not. How, how many... How many of you play this game? How many of us play this game? Day in and day out, we go about our business. I know we don't got a flower in hand, but we're picking the petals, so to speak, off of our proverbial flower, evaluating, estimating, always estimating, calculating God's posture towards us based on our circumstances, our emotions, our feelings, how we're reading the room, right? Our subjective perspective Good things, mm, good things always encourage me that God loves me, right? Bad things indicate that he doesn't. And funny enough, if you think about this, nobody ever keeps the score. It doesn't matter how many times he loves me, it only takes one bad pedal <laughs> to conclude he loves me not. You do this? I do this all day long. I do this all day long. I'm tempted to do this all day long. And listen, this, this familiar passage, this is why this verse and this paragraph exists. It's the, the very reason why it exists. We've, been, we've, we've had three and a half chapters now, if you've been tracking in the Gospel of John. Three and a half chapters introducing a man who is known as G Jesus of Nazareth, right? John the Baptist, when he saw him, cried out in two different uh, circumstances, right? He cries out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? The first disciples, the bunch of first guys who start following him, first people, they call him the Son of God. You're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. The one whom Moses and the prophets spoke of. Jesus himself, we've been seeing these three and a half chapters, he claims to be the gate of heaven. The bridegroom. The dwelling place, the temple. The dwelling place where God and man meet. The serpent, he says, I'm the serpent upon the pole, speaking back to Moses, lifting up the snake on the pole. Lifted high, he says, I'm going to be lifted high on a cross in order to save us, save you from that which is truly killing you, our sin. And if John's gospel had finished there, if we had finished there last week, that was the end of the, uh, a very short gospel account, we'd still be playing the game. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not because we still haven't heard the answer to why. Not in God, John's gospel. Not up until now. Why is he doing this? Why did Jesus come? Why is, what are his intentions? What are his motivations? Is this, you might say, an act of war? He's appeared. 
The world has rejected him. He's light. The darkness has not overcome it. Is this a war or a rescue operation? Listen, you do not need, you might be struggling with this. You do not, I would assume we're all struggling at some point on this. You don't have to wonder whether God loves you or not. That's what this text is about. You don't have to try and discern whether your present circumstances are an indicator of God's loving kindness or not, his posture towards you. In fact, the details of your life, the ups and the downs, right? The guy who won't get out of your way, whatever it is while you're driving, they are not indicators. They're not indicators. They're not reliable measures of whether or not God loves you at all. They're not. They're not. John 3.16 answers the question, why? Why is God doing any of this? And if I were to borrow from, it's been said a number of times already in three chapters, just to borrow John the Baptist's language here, John 3.16 and following is an exclamation point at the beginning of the introduction saying, behold, because you didn't know this, behold the love of God. Behold the love of God. This is the first time the word love appears in his gospel. (laughs) And John's going to say, or Jesus is going to explain, regardless of your posi- either way your position, this is driving the plot. This is driving the plot line. This is why God does what he does. This is why God has been doing what he does. This is why he does the things that he does. This is why he always will do the things he does. Behold, consider, see the love of God, the immeasurable, liberating, life-transforming heart of God. God to seek the good of those who are bad. Let me say that again. That's just what John 3.16 is. If you ever put this on on your t-shirt. Behold the love of God, the immeasurable, liberating, life-transforming heart, His will. The heart of God it's who he is. He can't not do this. I am what I am, so to speak, statement. The heart of God that seeks the good of those who are bad. The world. That's John 3.16. Let me show you. Look back at your Bibles again. Verse 16. We start there again. First of three points. If I could just say, behold the immeasurable love of God. That's what we're seeing here. After we've watched all this go and all playing out so far, John introduces for the first time, behold the love of God. This is the why answer. The answer to the why question. Verse 16, first word, four. Right? Four. See it? As in that's the logic behind all that has come before this sentence. Everything you've enjoyed so far in John, explained right here, four. For God, verse 16, so loved the world. Think here, the Father loved the world in this way. I know we can be like, so, so, so. And in some ways it means something like that. But it's a little bit different. The Father loved the world in this way, in this manner. That's what the word so means here. And notice well the word word love, right? First time it appears in the Gospel of John. 
John's gospel, listen, John's gospel is so different from the other gospels. We've already enjoyed this in so many different ways. It's different than the other three gospel accounts, the three eyewitness accounts of Jesus' earthly ministry. But one of the ways that John's gospel is different than all the other, th- the other three gospels is its use of the word love. That's where it's John's gospel is the love gospel. <laughs> it's the gospel of love. The Valentine version of whatever. As is are all his letters. Just if you know your Bible, just think about John's letters in the New Testament. Letters of love. Love is a an enormous, colossal concept for John. And it's very appropriate because it's God. And this is its first appearance in Sadduzi, for it is the one word that explains all of the other words that have preceded it. All the other words that have preceded this word right here, love, for God so loved. We're so familiar with that, but if you just stop for a minute, we've been listening to it for quite a while now, for a couple months. For God so, and then love has something to do with this. It does. Also notice in that little phrase there, for God so loved the world, the the word world is here, right? And this is massive. This is so broad and expansive. Think every man, woman, and child who has ever lived, is alive today, will be, is yet to be born. All of them, every person that has ever existed, will exist. Experts today say they're counting 117 billion and counting. Okay, that's what they say. I looked it up on Wikipedia. 117 billion and counting who are birthed onto this planet. And here's John's point. When he uses the word world here, birthed onto this planet, kicking and screaming and fighting and scratching and rebelling against their creator. A whole system, a human population, the city of man opposed to the one who made man, profaning his name, resisting even acknowledging it, though we all know it. All 117 billion of us enter this world, not just the cosmos, but the human race. It says here that the reason God is doing what he is doing then, now, and forevermore is love. Verse 16 again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How do we how do we calculate? How do we quantify? How do we measure? How do we describe God's love? What, ki- what kind of love is the kind of love in which God loves the world? And there are many way- uses of the word love. And right here, listen, it's a surprising, unearned kind of love. There's nothing here Speaking of, we'll say, the world in, we'll say, a potential possible positive manner. It's a kind of sacrificial kind of love. And it's measured. This is, 
this is what's so, so beautiful about this text. And just this one verse, measured not by who the recipient of the love is, the beneficiary of God the Father's love. And that's God the Father there sending His Son. It's not measured by the recipient, as in how lovely we are, but by the cost in which His love is demonstrated. That's, that's what He said. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Or in other words, the measure of God's love, you want to know what God's love is, what it's like, the measure of God's love for us is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The father gave his son. This is the definition of love. You know, Romans 5. God's love demonstrated that while we were yet sinners, the world, Christ died for us. The cost of God's love. If some people focus on that world, that that word "world," and think, "Wow, this is big." This is not what's big. It's the cost in which all of this is possible. The, the cost immeasurable when you consider how we measure it. What what is the measure of God's love for us? It is Jesus Himself, the Son, His only Son, His one Son, the Prince of Peace, right? The, the champion of heaven, the captain of all creation, the one who holds the stars in the sky and the seats that, together that you're sitting on, though we try to keep them fine-tuned and clean them up for you, but they could fall at any time. It's happened. incomprehensible a love so deep listen a love so deep that you'll never see the bottom of it for all eternity never measure it listen listen the bible this is how the bible talks about god's love john in his first letter beloved let us love one another for love is from god and whoever loves has been born of god and knows god Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. Not that we have loved God. But that He loves us. And sent the Son to be a propitiation, an appeasement, a sacrifice to satisfy God the Father for our sins. Romans 8, you know these passages. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? How do we measure this? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or your Wi-Fi that's not working and you're saying he doesn't love me, right? Oh, he says, as it's written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's your Wi-Fi going out, Paul's saying. No. Romans 8. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Are you tempted to measure his, his posture towards you? And now, we're, now we're, we're getting into all kinds of different facets of his love and this love that he has for the world. If you're wondering, can I say that God loves everybody? In one sense, you can say he loves everybody. He loved the world, sent the son. We're going to read why in a moment. But here's the measure. It's not you. And it's not whatever circumstance you're facing today. Romans 5 again, Paul writes, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And my favorite of all time, Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, living in the world, right? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, right? Ephesians 2. And raised us up with Him and seated us, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the measure of your, his posture towards you 24-7. Behold the immeasurable love of God. Second point. Behold the liberating love of God. Keep reading. If we start back at verse 16 again. Behold the liberating, freeing Redeeming love of God. For God so loved the world, He loved the world in this way, even while we were yet sinners, that He gave His only Son. This is the kind of love in which He loves us, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that have there is present. You, for those of you who believe in Him, you're already living forever. But verse 17, for God, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Mm. Why is God doing this? Why has Jesus showed up on the scene? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What a beautiful word saved i i fear sometimes we we like i don't know it 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 feels a little bit well not maybe provocative a little bit offensive maybe a little old school to say meeting the neighbor i'm saved but i do love we sing songs that have the word saved in it here it is that he might in order that the world might be saved and you could fill in all the blanks all the other words the rich theological words that we love redeemed paid for purchased liberated this is what we're about to read a portrait of fallen humanity 
rescued, rescued through him. The son, listen, verse 18, before we get, the son of man came into an already lost and condemned world. That's what John's about to say, or Jesus, depending on your perspective. He didn't come into a neutral world. There are no neutral combatants here. No mercenaries. He didn't come into a neutral world to save some and condemn others. He came into a lost world in order to save some, that some might be found. Verse 18. Here's the commentary. Whoever believes in him is not condemned already, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Clear again. His posture, his motive is love. A liberating mission. Here's why he sent Jesus. Not to condemn. Because whoever, verse 18, believes in him is not condemned. Not now. Not you. Not now. You believe. You have faith. You, last, last week, remember? You've been born again. You're a new creation. A new person. The Spirit of God has animated your body. You're no longer who you once were. You're not condemned now. Even though you walk out, well, you need a taco first. Knock some people over and get your taco and you should be condemned. You won't be. Hopefully by any of us. <laughs> whoever, verse 18, believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Jesus didn't come to condemn. Jesus, John, pick your commentator. commentator because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the judgment, verse 19. The light has come into the world. Now, John chapter 1, right? The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because of their, their works were evil. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Verse 20. You want to make, want to understand what's going on? For everyone who does wicked things, Maybe you just stop right there. You're probably thinking of something that someone else does that's wicked. But you can fill in your own blanks. From the most innocuous, soft, understandable sin, politically correct. I just really want my neighbor's Tesla because the Teslas are the best. You've got to have one. It's a movement in our church. <clears throat> to whatever the wickedness thing, including the guy who popularized John 3.16 and kidnapped, who had to give us his girlfriend. Standoff at LAX. The people loved the darkness rather than light because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked things hates the light does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed this is everybody when you hit the ground running everybody loves darkness 
It's still in us. Whatever you, you, you have trusted Christ for 30, 40 years, you love Jesus, and you love his people, and you want to please him, and yet there's still a little tinge in your heart when something might be exposed. Behold the love of God, immeasurable, liberating. Lastly, life transforming. The life transforming heart of God that seeks the good of those who are bad. Verse 21, best for last. This is connected to John 3.16. This is so beautiful. This is John 3.16. And remember the context, right? We got Nicodemus. We're talking about being born again. We're talking about seeing the kingdom. And but John or Jesus gets to the end and says, but, verse 21, whoever does what is true comes to the light. Who repents and rejects clings to Christ rather than my stuff. We're imprisoned in my own body and it's passions and desires and addictions and feelings. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. And who is the light? Jesus. So that it may be clearly seen that his works, the one who comes to the light, have been carried out in God. Remember, the context here, the four, is Nicodemus' question about being born again. Look up in your Bibles earlier, just to read it again so we catch it here at the end. Chapter 3, beginning with verse 3, we'll pick up here. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this, said this to you. You must be born again. Why? The wind blows wherever it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 21 again, but whoever does what is true comes to the light. So that it may be clearly seen that by his works, leaving the darkness, leaving the world which God loved, by sending his son on the world's behalf that those who would believe in him might be rescued, saved, liberated. That it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Listen. Christians, if this is, not, if this is new to you, Christians are not born Christians. Christians are not born Christians. The reason that we love God, and I love it, we just celebrated, celebrated this morning, 600 or so times, the room just lights up with 
with your voices as, our, as music. What a gift from God to inflame our affections towards him. We love him. But the answer to why we love him is found not in us, but in him. We weren't born this way. Remember the context. The Spirit came and gave us the gift of faith that we might trust him and repent of our wicked, evil ways and be completely different people. God's love is not only, not only immeasurable, wow, it's not only a liberating kind of love, a rescuing, saving kind of love, but it is the kind of love that transforms the world one, one sinner at a time. One sinner at a time. That's my story. For many of us, that's your story. And for those of us who know his saving love, his liberating love, his life-transforming love, this passage lights up. John 3.16 means the world to us. Because of his love, we live forever. And for those of you who sit here and say, I'm still in the dark, Again, the offer comes out. The key here being the outstanding truth, this, the outstanding thing about all of this is that it's all ours, not on account of you being lovely. He loved in this way, in this kind of love, a love not restricted to a certain kind of person or a certain kind of culture or a certain race or a certain nation or a certain state, California. You can be saved. You can be born again. And we, if you've been around, you know, not by any of the works you've done, but listen, here's the answer, John 3, 16. Why, why anybody could be saved from this? Because God is love. And his heart is to be good towards people who are bad. That's the gospel. Christ died for your sins. Would you pray with me? Father, Father, I pray this morning the gift that you would give us, Lord, the, the, the effect upon our souls, each and every one of us, whether we are a skeptic and rejecting, whether, whether we're looking for another way or we're convinced for the first time this is the way or for the thousandth time this is the way. Father, I pray you would give us the gift of assurance and confidence that regardless of our circumstances, you love and you have loved the entire world in this way. And for those that believe, gift of faith. You give us your very self. Father, I pray you would unite old souls, lifeless souls,
to the light of the world. Would you do that this morning again? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.